0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind the scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. Please take a second to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Martin Scorsese's new gangster drama, The Irishman. The film follows Frank Sheeran, a retired World War II veteran and former mob hitman, as he reflects on the moments that defined his career as a figure in organized crime, especially his role in the 1975 disappearance and murder of Teamsters president Jimmy Hoffa. In addition to The Irishman, Mr. Scorsese's credits include the DGA Award nominated features Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, The Aviator, and The Wolf of Wall Street, the DGA Award-nominated documentary George Harrison, Living in the Material World, the DGA Award-winning pilot episode of the dramatic series Boardwalk Empire, and the DGA and Academy Award-winning feature The Departed. He was presented with the Filmmaker Award at the inaugural DGA Honors Gala in 1999 and was honored with the DGA Lifetime Achievement Award in Feature Film in 2003. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in New York, Mr. Scorsese spoke with director Spike Lee about filming The Irishman. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation.
1: Hey, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you Spike. Thank you for doing this. Oh, they-
2: Can we give it up again for Ms. Scorsese, please? Come on, New York! This ain't Philly, this is New York! Rest, rest, rest. Oh.
1: They didn't open the... They didn't do you open all
2: know that you're in the presence of a cinematic giant? Do you know that? Do you, as we say in Brooklyn, do you recognize? This is a true giant, and I'm honored and humbled to be here with you tonight. I was at. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be at the world premiere. Yes. Opening night, New York Film Festival.
1: Oh, the New York Festival. Yeah. For uh, this film. Yeah. Yeah. The Opus. Yeah. Epic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess we finished it. I have. Ooh.
2: I have a couple questions before we go to the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you and Bob hang out, or you only see him when you guys are working?
1: Well, th- that's a good question. It feels like um, when Bob, they were asking Bob, what's it like on the set and the whole, he said, well, basically, it's like it always was. And, um, and it's just a very, uh, how should I put it? It's kind of a, <sighs> when you say family, it's one thing, you know, uh, he was very close to my parents, so was Joe Pesci, so was Harvey Keitel, everybody. So, when we were making those films in the 70s, 70s, like uh, Main Streets and Taxi Driver, I mean, uh, and then Goodfellas later, um, you know, in a sense, we were making films with our friends. And uh, that's why mother and father in them, it's all like part of a a group. Um, And so, that that I was very, very inc- beyond fortunate to, for that to have remained over the years. You know, uh, we tried to get to do a picture since. You know, we hadn't done um, we hadn't done a film De Niro and I since Casino, which was 1995. And like we kept saying and trying, we wanted to do a film, about our our version of of Hollywood and what we had gone through in Hollywood, but we were too close to it, couldn't do it. That was in the 80s, and then into the 90s, wound up doing. Uh, casino and that sort of thing. Then, I, then we would keep checking in with each other. And that's what you call by hanging out. He actually would have me Phone have lunch. Or,
2: or, or dinner or lunch? Or
1: lunch he had me have. <laughs> we make movies. We don't have lunch. You know what I'm saying? So no, seriously, like you get up, you kind of have a late coffee, whatever. I don't mean to be, but it's like you don't, we used to, we used to, but that stopped because it, we don't have the time. And, uh, but he would take me and we'd go in these different restaurants all through the city um, and talk about different ideas and that sort of thing. And we really try a lot, worked with a lot of writers. Um, but finally, um, uh, over the, uh, since I think 2000, 2002, uh, his projects could really couldn't, uh, I couldn't uh, kind of get excited about what he was excited about, vice versa. Until, and you know. Timing is everything. Time is everything. As, as Bo Dietl says, time is essence. It's of essence so, <laughs> in the film. But it's, it's uh, no, what eventually happened was that we uh, decided to try to go ahead, just make a film, and we got this project called uh, The Winter of Frankie Machine, which was a great title, but it, it, it had elements of, of um, like a genre, uh, and I couldn't bring it together. I couldn't get what we do and a genre, that demands of the genre especially in, in uh, 2003 when things were changing in, 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 uh, in Hollywood. And so um, he was about to do Good, Good Shepherd. Eric Roth, who was writing Good Shepherd, gave him this book, I Heard You Paint Houses, as research. And then Bob came to see me upstairs and he said, I got this book and I read it just for research. And he talked about this character, Frank Sheeran, and he became rather emotional, <laughs> just the two of us in the room. And not having read the book, and not necessarily wanting to go back into that world in a way. But I saw that something was so powerful in him, the way he felt about Jake LaMotta, let's say, that he couldn't articulate, he just became rather emotional. And I said, that's what we got to tap into. And uh, that's how we began. I got Steve's alien on the script, and we started.
2: Last question before we go to to, uh, the audience. From afar, from afar, I see. Scorsese, you got your guy, De Niro. C. <laughs> Little Met, Cappuccino. Yeah. Francis has Brando. Was it, was like, is that, was it, what, what took so long, I mean, was. Whole, oh, with Al. I mean, just the whole, like, it's like, I see like three we, silos, and we, this is my guy, <laughs> this is my guy, and this is my guy.
1: I don't know, it just developed that way. It de- I could tell you, one of the things, if you say it's my guy, um, there was trust. There was trust, particularly when you're making pictures and you're first, even though you do Mean Streets and even Taxi Driver, still there's a situation where you know the money is, the financing is the studios. Quite honestly, they could take the film away from you and often it was the, uh, look, let's face it, I was very lucky with Bob. He was a major box office star you know as a great actor and a star so we got a lot of pictures made right. that normally wouldn't get made but the main thing was that bob wouldn't take the film away from me i knew that down to the last deadline i knew it i don't know what he could do i don't know what he, how he could fight them or whatever but i knew he wouldn't do it and uh you would kill him well <laughs> i'd have to i have to be fast I'm gonna tell you. What? No, he wouldn't, eh? because he knew that it was just, uh, they were taking the films away. I mean, everybody, De Palma, they tried to take George Lucas's THX away, all these things. So um, um, the main thing was fighting for control, and I felt comfortable with control with him. I, I met other actors whom I adored, but I never quite felt um, safe with them, in a way. And um, in this case, too, Bob De Niro knew, Where I came from, Lower East Side, downtown, Uh, he was 16 years old, so was I. Uh, We kind of knew the same people that are in my films, in a sense, and we had that frame of reference. And so that's why I stayed. I tried working with Al, we were gonna do Modigliani. In the late eight, Modigliani, yeah, Amadeo Modigliani. And uh, that never came off, I was not, uh, couldn't get the financing in the 80s of me and that stuff. Um, And then he went with De Palma and Lumet, and you know, so it's a whole other thing. And uh, who's the other guy? Joe. But Joe. Joe Pesci. Well, Joe started though with, well, you know, yeah.
2: You know. So, how? Uh,
1: so that was it. You prepared two questions. That's it. They told me go to the. Well, I could be your all well, night. I can't. No. no. <laughs> uh, who
2: has the, uh, who I was the. Who was the intelligent question? That's also, no screenplays. We're not doing that tonight. No pitches. No, yeah. Not doing that. Yes. They're going to bring you the... Now, hold on, hold on. You got to slow down because I have to repeat the questions for the podcast.
1: Which was harder to shape in the editing, you mean? I think Casino. Casino okay. had a kind of... I wanted to jam it filled with Thelma's back there. We, we know we were laughing about it. Thelma. Because, yeah. We were. I kept pushing and pushing her to, to make it tighter and tighter. I had it all designed, but there were certain elements of uh, narrative, like semi documentary narrative that we kept shifting around in, in the three hour. I wanted it to be three hours and we got it to that. But, um, the, 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 the thing about the film was that it was, uh, it's almost the faster it went, the, 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 the more, I mean, it could go even faster in each cut, you see. Pouring information on from, I think at least, well, De Niro's voiceover in Joe Pesci, you know. And so even it got to the point where the voiceover on the soundtrack, uh, Bob is, uh, Joe is contradicting Bob as if that's some other place. It isn't even the movie. So I was experimenting with a lot and we, we had time to experiment on that. Well, not really. They gave us a date, remember? We said, we can't make this date. So they call back another date a week earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so that goes, you know, but it's true. Uh, Goodfellas was designed on the page. I had it, I had it. This is designed and known. This was it. Uh, there was no, uh, it just felt, it, it played it. When I say something plays itself out, it doesn't mean you don't work on it. <laughs> it. It told me what to do, you know?
2: Yes. Was the car wash scene with the Niro yeah. in the script?
1: Yeah, it says he goes to a car wash and he washes the car and that's it.
2: <laughs> Next question.
1: You know, the, the ribbons and the slow motion, and suddenly he's out, he's looking at it, but wasn't he in the car? It doesn't matter.
2: Yes. Was Donald Trump thought about why you're shooting this?
1: Well, before we started shooting, it was what? two sixteen when the election happened. When did we start? We shot at 217. Yeah, 2017. I and mean, it was there. It was prominent. Um, but as it played out, there was resonance. There's no doubt in those scenes, and uh, uh, I think you can see how pressure is applied, how things are said but not said, yet technically you could say they didn't say this. You follow? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the tone of it was very much, uh, when we were doing it, we were, we were uh, uh, very aware of uh, the nature of the world around us at that point, yeah, there's no doubt.
2: Have you seen Mr. Nero talk about Agent Orange? Agent Orange, the
1: president. Oh! oh. Oh.
2: I I don't call him by his name.
1: I I I don't go out. I'm home. I don't go out much. He's had some choice words for him. Yeah yeah I know I know but this a yeah yeah no but that's (laughs) you get that stuff going.
2: What do you get? Yes right here. Yeah. Yeah, the fish. Was the fish a fish?
1: Well, the fish is actually from Charles Brandt, the book. He, he uh, had that dialogue. They told him this is what happened in the car. The thing about the fish is, that what? what? They're talking about a fish? What's he doing? But if you, you watch it, um, uh, first of all, uh, Sally Bugs tries to get Frank to sit in the front. Why? You put a fish there to get me to sit in the front? That really is funny. No, I'm sitting there. Okay. Sally says, all right, he sits in the front. And then Sally starts asking uh, uh, Jesse, uh, Chucky, Jesse Plemons, uh, what kind of fish? Because if you look at it closely, uh, you know, if Chucky was supposed to pick up his dad and then go away and not know what was going on, that's what everybody says, uh, eh, what if they were late? What if Jimmy takes off and doesn't wait? What if then Sally bugs has to go back and say, we missed him. You missed him, why? Because this kid, Chucky, picked up a fish. You believe that story? You believe he picked up a fish? He's dead. Sally is dead, you know? I mean, anything could happen in that car. Bullets could start flying any second. <laughs> and you, and even, even the kid, there's this Louis Cancelmi who plays uh, uh, Sally Bugs, who's just finished Coriolanus in, in uh, Shakespeare in the Park, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he, he says, you know, I just want to make sure that somebody asks me, I know what you picked up <laughs> about the fish. You know, because he's, he's on the line. He, he's designed this, apparently. Yes. Oh, the two, he, two comedians.
2: That you cast in the
1: film. Oh, uh, Sebastian Maniscalco.
2: And well, Ray Romano. Ray Rayma. Romano
1: I think of as an actor. I'm sorry, but I, I, you know, I don't mean that the comedian is... He's really good. Um, and I... I don't know. I worked with Ray in vinyl. And uh, he came and he actually read for this again. And we thought so he it was, was not st-
2: handed to part.
1: Right? No, no, no. He read for it again. And uh, we thought, I believe, you know. But um, uh, no, uh, Maniscalco read for it. Uh, and actually, he didn't read for it. I saw a tape of one of his stand ups. And I saw he understood uh, the Italian American.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Up top,
1: yes. You knew it was coming.
2: Yeah. The aging know. process. It's never been done before.
1: No, no, like not this. like this, not like this. Not like this. I mean, I, I can't really tell you how they did it. Uh, <laughs> ILM, Pablo, Hellman, I mean, they're amazing. All I know is that uh, by the time we got our schedules together and by the time somebody gave us the money to make the picture because we couldn't get the money, and this was before the CGI, you couldn't get this picture made in Hollywood. Didn't matter who was in it, Bob Bob and me, they weren't interested in this kind of picture. And so uh, Netflix stepped up at the point in which we knew then we needed CGI. Having waited, I could not, we waited almost eight years, nine years because we were doing other projects and things and other family issues. And so what happened was that then Bob, there was no way Bob and uh, Al could play younger. No, we had a chance back in 2008. (laughs) Seriously, you could do with makeup, you could do something. You know, I could shoot a certain way, something. But this was like, uh, this was out of the question. And so we really, out of, out of uh, desperation, asked.
2: Did, did it slow the, the shooting down?
1: And not really, not really. I mean, there's a lot more crew because the camera has three lenses. And I was shooting a lot with two cameras at six lenses, sometimes three cameras uh, for the improvs and stuff. So that's nine lenses, that means more people on focus. That means no way I could get near the actors. I couldn't have, just a scrum of people, you know. But uh, in any event, uh, the, the, uh, um, I was shooting in, uh, Taiwan, uh, opening sequence of, uh, Silence, and Pablo came to me and said, you know, we could do this on CGI, because Erwin and me and Jane and Emma, we were all talking about possibly CGI, nah, I don't know, they have to wear helmets and stuff, I don't, and so I told, Pablo said, you know, think about this, because I think we can do it, each day it's getting better, and this was 2000, I don't know. Uh, 15, I think. And I said, don't, don't tell me. I said, you can't put tennis balls on their faces. These guys are not going to go. They're not, they're not going for that. They're not going for that. So that's it. I said, when you have something that you really think I can look at, come back. And he did about two months later. He said, I think I figured a way for the markers. The markers, we couldn't even see them. Uh, and then we came back and Bob did a test. We reshot a scene from Goodfellas and they put him in some sort of a cabinet with lights, and he was doing all kinds of facial expressions. Between those facial expressions that they mapped out, or what they, they, for markers or whatever, uh, plus uh, plus pictures of him from the 70s that I chose, plus scenes from him in films of the 70s, and that sort of thing, they created a test. And it was quite amazing, when we played both scenes together, the original and the test. And um, we said, let's go with it. Of course, then uh, the, 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 the price for it was, uh, the fee was, you know, pretty big. To, and so um, that's, when, uh, that's when we really tried to get the financing for the picture, and that was the final blow, and that's when Netflix came in. Netflix came in, said they'd pay it, do it, um, and uh, no interference. But,
2: but can we just talk about one other thing, because the face is a face, but the body and the stature in the years is different. So you, you had to talk yeah. back to about that too. Yeah, right? we
1: had to, the, the, that was the thing that's, a, <laughs> that take, that, and also the picture cuts back and forth for over 50 years. So you got like, uh, it's an interesting thing. Uh, the shoulders, uh, the shoes, uh, movement, posture. Uh, Gary, this guy Gary, was the uh, the uh, like uh, posture stuntman, and he would take the guys and work them out, do exercises with them. uh, um, You know, with Al, Uh, the first day we were shooting with Al, uh, he was in this chair and he's saying, "Look at those damn Kennedys!" It was on the TV, and he gets up and he says, "I'm going to go to war with those people," whatever. And uh, I thought it was great. He had two cameras on him. I thought we had all the markers, couldn't even see them, and um, I was. I said, terrific, Al, it's the first time I ever worked with Al Pacino. I mean, you know, so I but I like what he did. said it's fine. So, okay, let's do one more take from over here. And then we did another take and he gets out of the chair again. And and then Rodrigo comes up to me, my DP and uh, Pablo Hellman, CGI came up and they said, he's supposed to be 49. I said, what do you mean? He's getting up. He's supposed to be 49. Doesn't look like 49. (laughs) So I said, you tell him. (laughs) It's the first day. First day. Well, thank you. First thank day. You understand? First day. Give me a break, okay? So they said, no, you have to tell him. I said, I said he seemed nice, Al. So I went up to him.
2: <laughs> I've, been, I've been in your shoes.
1: <laughs> no, the guy's acting. He's trying to do He's trying to find character. Now you've got to watch how you get up. So I said, all right. I said, you know, Al. He said, how's it going? i like, okay? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, the only thing is, he what? You have to be 49. He goes, oh, God. Oh God. So we do one more take and he gets up and I, okay, what did you think? And Al says, 62, (laughs) we could do it better. Okay. So we went by five takes (laughs) and that's the way it went, you know, but I mean, they had to, you know, the the posture and movement, movement, Uh, Bob coming down the stairs. And Bob was telling a story earlier about coming down the stairs and he was coming down the stairs, like an uh, an older person. So Gary said, "You you gotta, you have to skip and hop. You have to be happy with those stairs, you know? And he's okay, and he got it. He got it, he got it. But then he looked at me about an hour ago. He said, Then you cut it out. I said, Sorry.
2: <laughs> but
1: Joe Pesci's amazing. Yeah, you gotta ask him more than once to do anything. <laughs> he doesn't wanna bother. He's an older person now, we're all older. What's in it for him? What? <laughs> What did he do
2: for the many years he retired? He
1: plays golf. Imagine, a guy, he comes from Jersey, I think, that's what it is. Yeah. No, but he plays golf. I don't know what he'd do, a Snickers commercial, I heard. Yeah. I don't know what the hell's going on, but he, uh... no, we talked about it because, no, I don't know, the gangster thing again, this and that. I said, no, this is different. You'll see it's different. And, uh, no, then Bob, if I don't want to talk to Bob, because Bob's going to say, you got to do it. That's his, you know, explanation. That's big brother? Yeah, yeah, kind of. I don't want to talk to him. I said, he's just going to talk to you for a few minutes. No, 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 no. And finally, it all came around, and especially when Netflix kicked in, um, because I think that made it very real, particularly because of this this, uh, experiment with the CGI. And don't forget, the CGI on set is one thing, but Thelma and I and and, uh, Pablo, uh, over six months uh, looking at each shot, I mean, you know, uh, two, three times a week for us here, um, them in San Francisco, we were on these systems, you know, Skyping and everything with the projector here. And um, the interesting thing about the CGI is that, there's a scene where Bob says, I'm bombing out a laundry service, and is just looking at him, and Joe is looking at him. And uh, he, knows he's in, he's in, he knows it's bad, he knows it's bad. So he has to watch how he looks at these guys, you know? And so what happened is that one scene, one part of the scene, um, he says, I'll give the money back, and he says he's not going to need it. And so Bob, I think, I think this is the, the, the area where it happens. Bob looks over at Joe, then he looks back at Harvey. And uh, the take I chose, the older Bob, had a, a very nice vulnerability in his eyes, and his face, right? We made him younger, and it became a threat. I said, oh, he would never look like that now. Jesus, what makes him vulnerable as a younger person? Is it this here? Is it this? Is that, <coughs> so they go in, them, and I. no, I think it's the eye. No, wait, over here, no, yeah, because he turned his face, the light hit him this way. Not all changes, everything changes here. More texture here, but wait, if we put more texture, what have we taken, I mean, so you're, com- you're combining the actual performance plus 2D plus what he did in tests.
2: But you still kept the same take though?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a different take obviously because you're, you're, you're playing with it, you follow? I was thinking this whole thing about CGI, we gotta think about this, it's the evolution of makeup. We just gotta think ahead now, you know. This is where it's gonna be. Up top. Oh, well that happened, I mean, that was a, um, a natural uh, I, I, that's what I try to do, make it as natural as possible for camera angles. I know, I knew that I was going to have um, uh, Joe and, and Bob up in that balcony, and I said, well, then when they look down, it's perfect, because you're looking down on them, you see. And so that's the, what I mean about things played themselves out, and it seemed to play in, uh, uh, you know, they, they appeared to be effortless when we were doing them. I mean, it was a lot of effort, obviously, 108 days, but... There, it seemed to be natural in the flow of, uh, of the shooting, you see. Well, no, not Uh-oh. really. Uh, the question is, where,
2: did you screen any movies for
1: uh, mm. the people working,
2: your filmmakers with working with you?
1: No, no, uh, Rodrigo, no, no. Uh,
2: we do you, usually, talk- do you usually screen films before?
1: Yeah, I usually. I screened a couple of things with Bob, but about five, six years earlier, the kind of picture I wanted to make. Uh, with Rodrigo, we, we, we decided that the, the time changes, um, the period uh, sections, would uh, would be, uh, it, it would go Kodachrome in the 50s and 60s, Ektachrome in the 70s, up to, and then normal now. We, we figured that out. But bottom line was that at the tone of the movie I wanted, uh, uh, it had to be contemplative and it had to be an epic, but it had to be an intimate epic. Um, And it had to be, uh, I showed him actually, I showed a couple of Melville films, Jean-Pierre Melville. I showed uh, Le Doulot, and I showed uh, Le Douzium Souffle, which um, Jean-Paul Belmondo bought those pictures. It's a very different world, but I like like the understatement of it. And then I showed a film called Touche pas ou Grisby. Uh, which means don't touch th- my loot," which is a very famous uh, early 50s uh, French gangster film with Jean Gabin. And when I was shooting Bob in in Casino, I felt he was taking on the the uh, stature of a uh, late middle age Gabin. You know, in the early 50s, he looked a certain way, and he had a lot of power to him, but he was he had a, a serenity to him, too, and a coolness. And Bob, I felt, was getting that way in, in Casino. I said, but it'd be so nice. And Grisby, has a kind of uh, similar, uh, in the sense that they're older gangsters in Paris, and they get involved in stuff, they don't want to get involved with name. It. I mean, it's a, it's a, really the tone, but I like the Gabin feeling of his deportment, how he presented himself. In fact, we used some of the harmonica music from Grisby in the film. And then we, we actually, Robbie Robertson, uh, did the harmonica on, um, uh, based on the uh, French uh, noir, uh, music of the early 50s. Another one was like Refifi, Jules Stassen's Rififi. That There was a period there where a lot of those films were coming over here.
2: In this film, we see Jimmy Hoffa incinerator. Yeah. I've always thought he was buried where the Giants
1: play in New Jersey. And on that, I, I believe that's been debunked a long time ago. It was? Yeah. I missed that? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Maybe they- <laughs> Uh, who knows? I mean, uh, you know, I mean, Charles Brandt, really, he knew uh, Frank Sheeran, he interviewed, he was hanging around with him, interviewed him over 20 years, on and off, on and off. What they said, they said, it's in the book. I mean, the the thing was, at first they say, oh, a book about who, what happened to Jimmy Hoffa, and intimations of conspiracy theories with the Kennedy's, oh, no, are you going to get into that stuff? I said, it's all speculation. But what we found when Bob It told me the the story of that character and how I saw his reaction. I realized the speculation didn't mean anything. It meant really the story is about uh, people who are living a life, a tough life, love, um, trust, betrayal, remorse, regret. At the end, right?
2: At the end, he's... Yeah. That's yeah. I think feel sorry that. for him. I mean, even as he's a killer, you feel sorry for yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I yeah. you can do that.
1: Yeah, but he's an ex- he was an executioner in a sense. I mean, I think of the, the Celine's book, um, uh, uh, Journey to the End of the Night. And I always talk about, there's a quote towards the end where the main character gets, uh, gets killed, but uh, he's talking to his girlfriend. She said, what's happened to you? He said, what's happened to me is a whole life has happened to me. And she shoots him. I mean, you got to read the book to get to that point. I don't want to spoil it for you. <laughs> But when, she says, when he says, a whole life, when I hit me, and it's a tough book, it's ugly. And I said, oh, man, he's right. I said, a whole life, something I can never explain to you. You had to live it with me. And you had to be me. And that's, that's what we were trying to go at for in the film.
2: Yes. Is there a scene as your most satisfying scene in this film?
1: Well, I think the, uh, the, the appreciation night sequence, you know. All, all that, the different speeches, the uh, I I, you know, when you see something like those things are, are are called like a wedding is called or an appreciation night, and that's really a time for everybody to gather and settle things. But you could tell sometimes something's going wrong in a conversation and you could feel it. I said that's I grew up around that kind of thing. that that's what we have to get, particularly when Bob is watching Al and Joe speak in the back there and he sees Al. Gesticulating and Joe just standing by himself. You don't leave the man standing by himself. Not, not Buffalino. You don't leave him alone like that. You know. But I think for me, I love the scene with. Um, well, I like a lot of that scene. Uh, that sequence where Joe gives him the ring. He said, "You know how you know how strong I made you." The ring. Yeah. You know how strong I made you. Only three. Yeah. 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 Yes. Oh the. <laughs> On the, the cabs into the water? Once. <laughs> and it was the you most... You only get one take. One take. We were dying. <laughs> we we were so uh, anxious, and it was freezing that night. It was over in Brooklyn. What about, so, well, Red Hook. It was in Red, Red Hook.
2: Yeah. What about Bridge River The train on the oh, bridge? Yeah. That's one take, too. One take.
1: That's it. And it hit because I wanted the camera to boom down on it. But in booming down, you had to see the first cab hit the water. Otherwise you wouldn't know. And they said, where do you want to cut it? Where do you want to cut? Do you want to say cut? No, no, keep going. Oh my no, 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 keep going. <laughs> and we did it, we got it. But it was probably about 10 degrees below zero that night. It was awful.
2: Yeah. a lot of theories about who killed Jimmy Hoffa. Who did it?
1: Well, I mean, again, as I said, when I took on the idea, uh, when I took on the picture, I made it very clear, myself, everybody around, I don't really, uh, I can't, I'm not interested. We know he's gone. How did he go? Meaning, what brought him to that point mm-hmm. is more interesting to me. And it's really about the closeness, the, 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 the friendship, the trust, and all that sort of thing. I think it was Janine Basinger the other day said, you know, she said, I don't know what happened to Jimmy Hoffa, but after seeing this film, I now know what happened to him. Because you could see him bury himself. Bob, how many more times Bob got a ego, low. Tell- hmm? Ego. Yeah, the ego. I mean, it's, it's, it's ancient, Greek, ancient Greek tragedy. It's, it's uh, you know, the hubris. Bob tells him they're going to kill you, basically. He's saying, don't, don't tell me that.
2: <laughs> they can't kill me. Yes. Did you have to oh, and Pacino in mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, when Bob, when, he, when we talked about it, he said, you know, uh, Al could do uh, Jimmy. He said, yeah, no, obviously, Joe's got to do Buffalino. Oh, Joe won't do it. I ah, he'll do it. I'll talk to him. You know. <laughs> so it became like that. It became a game that way. We actually had a reading of the script with Zalian and everybody, Paulie Herman, uh, Bobby Cannavale, I think about five years ago maybe more, maybe three years before we started shooting, just to keep the interest up, because we needed the money to get the film made. Nobody would give it to us.
2: Did every studio turn you down? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you had to go to Netflix.
1: Yeah, no, they, they uh, and the, the trade office, you know, it's amazing. What can I say? This film is made under those circumstances in these venues. It'll be in theaters, and then it streams. My next film may be different, you Know, but the point is that this one we knew was the old story now or never. We're looking at ourselves, last roundup, last roundup. I kept humming that I'm headed for the last roundup, you know. I mean, Bob may 76 77 years old. We're looking at so that we got to do this, yes, sir. I, 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 I with Anna Paquin um, playing Peggy. Um, we had to get it there. The little girl is good. The little girl, Lucy, yeah, yeah, she's terrific. And the thing about it was I I kept asking Steve's alien to see if we can layer her in the story. And um, I decided that um, she doesn't have to say anything. You see your father do something like that, I'm sorry. You know, you, you see it crush the guy's hand like that. Other kids maybe, but this kid couldn't take it. And, you know, she looks at him, she knows he's up to something. And Anna... Ultimately, Lucy was great, but Anna was amazing in that the looks, she has one line in the film. Yeah, one line. It's, it's too, there's something you can't talk about. She knows it. She knows who he is, you know? Yeah, he knows she knows. He knows she knows. I mean, even when he's sitting there and they said the, the, the police are talking about Joey Gallo being a long gunman walked in and you see she's looking at him. <laughs> that,
2: was, that was you, Daddy. Ooh, yeah. You asked a question, or, yes. Yeah, I oh, me, yeah, Do you I think know. about the actual family members of the films you've done? Do you think about them?
1: I think so. I think so. I mean, uh, one has to understand that a lot of these stories, particularly this one, a lot is in the public domain in a sense. And um, uh, again, this is according to Charles Brant and Frank Sheeran that this is the way it happened. I prefer we deal with the, uh, the heart of it. You know, The heart of that world, um, uh, and treat the people as um, as uh, yeah. You have to be careful. I think unnecessarily, you don't want to uh, you don't want to uh, uh, cast aspersions on people who don't who are not part of this. You follow the family stuff. So I'm always very careful with that as much as possible. It was hard in casino. It was hard in casino casino. uh, It was uh, everything was out there in the papers. People knew all about it and I was doing it, but it didn't go over too well.
2: I uh, when I did Summer of Sam, I heard from the parents of the victims. Ah, yeah. uh, So I mean, yeah, yeah, it's it's real life. Yep. Real life. Yep. Great question. How do you use your music in films is the best?
1: Well, in this case, in the still of the night, it's the five Satins for Paris, right? The guy's named Paris. Uh, I just knew when I, when, as Steve was pulling the story together, I had other thoughts in mind, but then I knew it had to be in the still of the night because of those opening piano, bom, 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 and it moves through. The still of the night is a very moving piece. Uh, I grew up with it. Um, it's a quintessential duo of that time. Um, and also it's the still of the night, the executioner. Uh, death in the still of the night, you know, and Among uh, other things amongst other things. Yes. Well, we're <laughs> Catholic. It's a different <laughs> no, but, too, Seriously Catholicism too when I was growing up as an altar boy That's all they talked about the old Italian priest got in the pulpit. they talked about like a thief in the night it will come Be ready <laughs> And i you know I, I was an altar boy at the dead masses every Saturday morning 1030 so death was very, very much, uh, uh, to li- you know, the flowers and the, uh, the um, funeral parlor, the wakes. So it was very much of uh, being in downtown um, Elizabeth Street. It was very much like a little village. So there were several funeral parlors, uh, had two friends who died, uh, one of cancer, another by an accident uh, at the age of 18. So those funerals were devastating. The funerals were very much a part of our lives. So in the still of the night, That slow motion is a a phantom. The camera is a phantom. And I like, uh, I've been obsessed with slow motion since uh, I can, since I first saw films. Um, I guess for me, uh, the slow motion dreams in uh, Los Olvidados are are something that stay with me along. And I love the, the way people's expressions change and the movement of the flesh on the arms and that sort of thing. And uh, I decided it's a very, very high speed, this camera, Phantom. Um, And I felt that it would be in only two places, the uh, uh, Joe Colombo shooting in uh, Columbus Circle and the wedding itself, because the wedding is a funeral. It's a funeral, you know? And the Colombo thing gave me a, a chance. I said to, there's something about and uh, people laugh, oh, mob hits and that sort of thing. But it the pain of it, the suffering of all the people around, you see all their faces, you see the family, the wife screaming, You see the hands grabbing the gun. And all of this is almost like uh, uh, biblical tableaus that I was going for. And I think that camera gave it to me, but one has to be quite sparing with it. And I like the trance like effect, you know,
2: you know, let's think about was the an assassination tax drive at Columbus Circle too?
1: Yes, it was, yeah. Oh, Yeah, but ours was, wait, later, yeah, but it was written in the script as Columbus Circle. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: Last question, yes. Hey, that's not gonna be the last question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that actually, those glasses are based on the actual photograph Frank Sharon of that time. Strange, interesting, you're right. We, we did get into all that. What's more contemporary, what's not, that was cleared, yeah.
2: The climactic scene in the film, you made the choice to not have music.
1: Well, I actually made, yeah, made choices to take most of the music out anyway because of the methodic nature of who he is, Frank, and the fact that once he has to do this terrible thing, um, we want to see him go step by step with it. Take him all the way through the way he feels when he's doing it, you know? Uh, It makes us... uh, I, I think music, if it's not... One has to be so careful with film music that uh, very often it tells you how to feel. Well, what if he just uncomfortably watching this guy he gets and takes his glasses off, gives it to Frank, gives it to Joe, gets in the plane, there's no music when the plane takes off. It's, it's an air of finality, you know, that uh, we, have to, we have to witness this the way it happens. And then witness after, almost like the, there's a, a wonderful thing I the cleanup after the shower scene in Psycho.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, there's Bernard Herman music there. But there's something about, when we first saw that film on, at the DeMille Theater on the first week, and a midnight screening, everybody's screaming, um, the fact that we're back in there, he just killed the lead of the movie, and uh, he's cleaning up. What are we watching all that? And that, the quotidian nature of it, and I thought the whole last hour of the picture should be that way. And that's why a lot of the music was pulled away.
2: I want to ask you one last question. So, for Marty, was there, how was the scene, the scene where Al Pacino has to be shot by the nerd? Was Was there any, was it, was it? Any special, was anything, was yeah, anything that man, happened that, yeah, that day? Yeah,
1: that day was, yeah. That was, uh, I had the idea to pull the wall out and he, you see his body almost like a proscenium, like a piece of theater. And Bob pulls the body this way and he puts the gun on him. First of all, he looks around, makes sure he's not gonna get shot. Then he has to straighten his shirt out because he doesn't wanna look as if he's running from the house, right? And then he just held on the body and uh, the whole crew, the crew felt so bad for Al, for Jake, for for Jimmy. You know, for like he, his friend just did that, and he just left him there. You know, he just left him there. I
2: mean, what did gr- Al say when he got up? Did
1: he say anything? Al said, "I'll I'll do it again if you want." <laughs> 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 no, it's okay, Al. <laughs> <laughs> Not because he had to fall. Or was did, a bit, you did, know. did
2: Nero hug him, Was there anything between the two? Do that, 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 you remember?
1: You see, the thing there is that they don't... They, uh, <laughs> the way they're behaving in the car, when he says, you got your friend with you, with his gun, he says, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the way they, 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 they played off each other that way. They didn't go out of character.
2: So they didn't, ha- they didn't do nothing together no. during the... the no, the no, shoot. it was
1: all very... It, <laughs> He had to do it, and Al knew he had to go through with it, so, you know, not much talking about it.
2: But you felt it, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A you'd like to hear more you can find past episodes of the director's cut wherever you listen to podcasts stay tuned in the coming weeks for more great q a's with directors david michaud and robert eggers and be sure to subscribe rate and review us we'd love to hear your feedback and you can help fellow cinephiles find the show thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time this podcast is produced by the directors guild of america music is by dan wally